Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 34 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the secret space program known as Alternative 003. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Well, as we begin April, we wanted to bring you this special topic that we want to discuss. In 1977... The respected British program, Science Alert, was scheduled to release a documentary known as Alternative 3 on the channel Anglia TV. And then for mysterious, unknown reasons, the broadcast was delayed until June 20th of that year, 1977, but it was eventually shown to the British public. And the program provided claims of a shocking revelation of government conspiracies, a secret space program and a hidden colony on the planet Mars. And that's what we'll be talking about today on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Yeah. All right, Jimmy. So before we jump into this, the very, this is a very explosive uh, story uh, from 1977, which, you know, it, it, we, I, I can't believe I hadn't heard this before. What do we need to cover before we start? Well, <clears throat> so um, we do know that there are secret things going on in space. Um, and we'll be talking about them in future episodes of Mysterious World. Uh, I I mean, Nova has even done a documentary about the U.S. secret space program. And there are different aspects to that. You know, there are a lot of classified military missions. They have that little space plane they send up and stuff that's presumably monitoring things here on Earth. Um, there was back in the 70s uh, a plan for a manned secret space station, and they even had astronauts selected, um, <clears throat> which is one of the things NOVA uncovered. But uh, that's for another episode. In this, we're talking about what uh, Science Alert reported uh, that they had uncovered going on in space. Um, so th that's the one we'll be talking about today. In 1979, there was a book. So this is after the program aired. In 1979, there was a book about Alternative 3 released. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, it was authored uh, by a, a British author named Leslie Watkins, uh, along with a couple of other co-authors, uh, David Ambrose and Christopher Miles. And it was released here in America. And I actually have a copy of it from when I was a kid. I, I found it and in the store and I bought it. And I didn't really read it at the time. But it's based on the documentary that uh, that Anglia TV broadcast. And of course, given the circumstances, the time, I, there was no way I could see the original documentary. Um, it is available now on YouTube. There are you know, bootleg copies of it on YouTube. And so we'll have a link to one of those in the uh, in the show notes so you can watch it for yourself. But back in 79, you know, the book was all I had and. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of information about it. But now that we have the Internet and we have YouTube, there's a lot more information about Alternative 3 available and people can watch the original documentary for themselves. So Anglia TV, I've never I've never heard of Anglia TV, which is not surprising. I, <laughs> I'm American. I, I don't watch a lot of British TV. This is not the BBC, correct? 
No, the BBC is uh, England's state-run television. It's kind of like our PBS, um, but they do have other television networks in in the UK. I'm not entirely familiar with them, uh, but Anglia TV was one of them. It's now called ITV Anglia. Uh, ITV is my impression based on just references to it that I see is that ITV is like if not the main alternative, one of the main alternatives to uh, to the BBC. And so um, so now it's ITV Anglia and they're a respected and authorized British broadcaster. And then they they had a program called Science Report. Yeah, Science Report. It's kind of like um, a British version of Nova. It it uh, if you've seen Nova, you know, weekly science documentary on, you know, something having to do with science and Science Report is kind of the same thing. So this documentary, I mean, this is a this is an explosive documentary. How did the documentary happen? Well, according to the people at Science Report, as they as they explain in the documentary itself, they didn't start knowing about Alternative 3 at all. They were actually working on another documentary on a different subject. Um, it, they explained that 18 months earlier, they had been um, they'd had one of their reporters named Colin Benson working on a, a documentary called Brain Drain from Britain. And a brain drain is what happens when your top talent in some field like science or something else, your top talent starts getting recruited by other countries to like go live and work in other countries. And that's perceived as something of a threat at times if you're losing your top talent to, you know, your competitors internationally, um, then that's a source of concern for various governments. And so uh, Science Report was doing a documentary about British scientists um, and mathematicians and so forth who were like going overseas, like to the United States or other places to work. And they were then going to analyze, you know, what effects will that brain drain have on Britain if it's not stopped? And they even show part of the original film that they were preparing for the brain drain from Britain documentary before it got sidetracked and became the alternative three documentary. And they give us like three cases of people that they were focusing on as part of the brain drain documentary who just disappeared and it and and under mysterious circumstances. So not simply move, but lost any ability to find them. So, right. So who are these people who disappeared? Well, one of them was Dr. Ann Clark, and she was a solar energy specialist. She disappeared while they were filming the original documentary. So they talked to her before she disappeared. She went missing on December 30th, 1976. So right at the end of 1976. Um, in the initial footage they have with her, she's talking about how she's dissatisfied with the research facilities that she's been provided to do her job. And she says she's thinking about leaving the country to have an opportunity to work at with better research tools. and. Um, and she then decides to go away, but she doesn't want to talk about it. And they have footage of this. She's saying, I can't say anything. Uh, she apparently told friends she was going to New York and she left from Heathrow Airport. But when Science Report checked this out after she just vanished, uh, Heathrow said they didn't have any record of her leaving from that airport. And they found her car 
in the car park at Heathrow. So it's like she drove her car there. She got out of the car and then she vanished and there's no record of how she left. So she was the first one. Uh, they also uh, talked about a senior lecturer in mathematics named Robert Patterson, and he and his wife and two kids uh, also left uh, for Heathrow. They did it a little earlier, they about a year earlier. They did it on November 9th, 1975, and they were never heard from again. So they're the, they're the second ones. And then the third one they give uh, as an example is a guy named, a guy named Brian Pendlebury who was an RAF, so he was a Royal Air Force, uh, RAF special projects man. And he was actually the first one to disappear that they that they give as an example anyway. He had been missing since March 22nd, 1974, and he had told his parents that he was going to work for an electronics firm in Sydney, Australia. The weird thing is, he sent photos and letters from Australia of, you know, him, you know, surfing and hanging out with people and stuff. Um, but one of his friends was going on a trip to Australia and thought he'd like surprise him, you know, uh, surprise his friend while he's there uh, by paying a visit. And so he uh, went to the address that the letters had been sent from. And there were people at that address, but they claimed never to have heard of Brian. They just they didn't know who he was. And um, and so Science Report looked into this and they uh, they found that he was checked in uh, on a flight from Heathrow to Sydney. But then the people in Sydney said they'd never heard of him. Wow. So how many people are we talking about? How many people have did they find had disappeared? Well, they were looking at about 400 people um, for their brain drain documentary. And of those 400 people, 24 of them had vanished in a way that um, that they couldn't trace. So they're you know, it's not a huge number, but it's a significant number of people to just drop off the face of the earth like this. It seems that there was one person that they they found, but who had who had died. Yes. And that started a new whole new part of the investigation. What, what What's that all about? Right. So there's this distinguished astronomer named Sir William Ballantyne, and he uh, he worked at Jodrell Bank, which was like a British radio telescope. And he he died in a car crash and after leaving work. Science report had experts examine photos of, you know, his wrecked car and of the accident scene. And their experts said that the cause of the crash was undetermined, but in their words, it was, quote, peculiarly unclear what what caused the accident. So it's kind of mysterious. Also, Ballantyne had called a friend of his named John Hendry, who was a news editor at World Press Services, and he, he sounded worried. They interview Hendry and Hendry says he sounded worried. He said he was coming to London to see him, a newsman, and he's uh, had sent him a package the previous day and said, you know, don't 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 mess with the package. Just keep it under lock and key until I get there. And then he died um, when they opened the package. It turned out to contain a reel of since this is 1976 when this happened of obviously primitive videotape. Um, so, you know, one of those big, thick reels. 
and they tried playing it. It turned out to not have a picture. It was like just static on the video channel, but it had some weird noises that sounded kind of like, you know, signals from signals like you hear with satellites and spacecraft and things like that. Um, And eventually science report uh, is able to crack that, but we're not there yet. So we'll we'll hear more about this videotape. And then, so Science Report was also contacted by an American in, in in all of this investigation. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, so it's not clear exactly how he learned what Science Report was doing, but he contacted them. He didn't want to give them his name, although eventually we learned that his first name was Harry. Uh, he wanted to meet in public, and uh, he claimed to have met Ballantyne at NASA in Houston, Texas. So, you know, Ballantyne, distinguished astronomer, could have easily paid a visit over to NASA in Houston. Um, and Harry said he met him there. So he arranges a meeting with the science report people. And they actually was they were uncertain enough about what was going to happen. They actually filmed this on hidden camera and they admit that they're possibly doing something unethical by filming this guy without his consent, without his knowledge and thus his consent. But they say they ultimately feel justified in doing that in light of what went on to happen. Uh, So when they met Harry, he was really nervous. He gave them an address and said he wanted to meet there uh, with their camera crew. When they got to the address, and it's like a brownstone somewhere in London. uh, But when they got there, they were met by a woman. And she said that Harry is ill and he wants to be left alone. But they go in anyway. They go up the stairs to meet him. And he's like there. And he does seem to be ill. He's not looking real good. And then he becomes hysterical. And he like attacks the camera crew to keep them from interviewing him. So they leave. And then they come back with the police. But when they come back with the police, Harry is not there. And they never see him again. Wow. Yeah. That is dramatic. Wow. I uh, can't imagine. I've never heard of this. So the, the science report documentary apparently connected all of this to climate change. Is that right? Yeah. It, they introduce a new phase in the documentary to try to set some context for the revelations that are coming up. And so they talk about how in 1975, there was this worldwide summer drought and uh, the world climate seems to be moving towards a radical change. And this is something that we hear a lot about today. People may not remember this was actually a big thing in the 70s, although it took a little bit of a different form. Instead of the idea that all the CO2 emissions are going to cause runaway global warming, the idea was that they're actually going to do the reverse. They're going to trigger an ice age. And I I remember this from the 70s when I was growing up. Time magazine had, you know, ice age covers and stuff like that talking about this. And so this was a very common uh, idea at the time that's eventually going to play in to what to what alternative three is meant to do. Now, one of the experts they interviewed was Dr. Carl Gerstein. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Gerstein. You, Gerstein. <laughs> that reminds me of Frankenstein. What can you yeah. tell us? <laughs> what can you tell us about him? Um, so he's a, a Cambridge lecturer in applied physics. And they don't say it, but he's he's got a German accent and he's an older guy. And this is 1977 when this is being aired. And so that 
pretty strongly suggests that he's an ex-Nazi scientist. Um, you know, here in America, we had Operation Paperclip to scoop up ex-Nazi scientists and engineers. That's how we got Werner von Braun, the one of the fathers of rocketry. Um, the Russians had a parallel program where they were trying to get Nazi scientists over to the Soviet Union. And I hadn't heard of a British equivalent, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was one. And so Gerstein may have been recruited to lecture at Cambridge or, or to otherwise work for the British as a result of, you know, a similar effort that the British were making. Um, in any event, they don't make an issue of it, you know, because the British like to avoid embarrassment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, in any event, uh, in talking to Gerstein, he says that his theories had been dismissed like 20 years ago, which would be the 50s. Um, and he had been called an alarmist at that time. But he says by the late 1960s, uh, CO2, carbon dioxide, led to the greenhouse effect and was leading to alternating abnormally cold winters. And so this was uh, and that's something we hear about today where people who believe in climate change will say, well, it's going to have these different extremes between cold and hot. And they talk about how uh, President Carter had weighed in on this back in the, in the 70s and how people thought that it was leading to a new ice age. So Dr. Kirstein was the first person to mention the words Alternative 3, the science report. What did he tell them? Yeah. So um, he says that in 1957, he was at a conference of senior physicists and physicists and government advisors uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. And Huntsville, Alabama um, is where they have the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. And I uh, was actually there. When I was a kid, I spent a summer in Huntsville because my dad was working on the Skylab project. My dad was a professor of uh, mechanical engineering. And so we he, during the summers between school semesters, he would do these different projects. And one summer he was working on Skylab. And so we all spent the summer there and I, you know, toured the facility and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, Gerstein says that he and these other physicists and government advisors were there in Huntsville in 1957 for a conference, and they started to take his ideas about climate change seriously. And they proposed three alternatives for how to deal with them. And he doesn't say what they were. He says the first two were crazy. He just says, forget about those. They were crazy. They'd never work. The third alternative, though, was, he says, maybe not so crazy, but he doesn't know if anything was ever done about it. The so third that's the first alternative three. That's alternative. the first they hear about it, which then becomes the name of the documentary. And then Science Report also interviewed an American astronaut named Bob Groden. Yeah. What can you tell us about Bob Groden? So Bob Groden was a former Apollo astronaut. He went to the moon in 1972, which would be right at the end of the Apollo program. And, you know, that would be why he's not as famous. He's not like Neil Armstrong, the first guy. So the later guys didn't get nearly as much press. Um, I actually remember the tail end of the Apollo program. I was small at the time. And I remember my dad one night holding me up in his arms and pointing to the moon and telling me the astronauts were up there right now. And that's kind of a cool childhood memory for me. Um, when the astronauts got back from the moon, it didn't always go well for them. Um, it was kind of a peak experience in their careers. And 
everything's kind of downhill after you've been to the moon. And so uh, some of them had problems. An example of that would be the astronaut who is somewhat more famous, Edgar Mitchell. Um, he came back and he uh, he had some personal problems and he ended up getting into some kind of fringe areas uh, or what are considered fringe areas. Um, he founded a, in 1973, he founded a, an institute called the Institute for Noetic Sciences to study consciousness. And so it's kind of a new agey kind of thing, or at least that's the reputation it has. In terms of Grodin, Grodin came back and he had, you know, personality changes, uh, instability, breakdown of relationships with people around him. And they don't say this, but it's obvious from the footage. Um, he started drinking heavily. So he's having some alcohol issues um, in his post moon career. So something odd must have happened when he went walked on the moon. What do we what do we know about that? Well, it's it's not it, something did happen that was odd, although just coming back from the moon can lead to That's bad true. experiences. Right. But they do talk about a really weird thing that happened when Grodin was on the moon and they play tapes, you know, audio tapes from his moonwalk. He got out of the lunar lander. Uh, he was exploring the lunar landscape and he saw something really strange. And he's he he doesn't describe it, but he's like marveling at it, going, wow, that's incredible. And then the Houston tells him, go back to the lander. And so they they like apparently don't want him looking at this thing, whatever it is. They use code words like Bravo Tango and Jezebel and Science Report has no idea what those mean. And they never actually find out. Um, but it's like they're giving him instructions in this coded language and they're really insistent you need to go back to the lander which he then does um so science report ha having uncovered these audio tapes they want to find out more so they interview groden by satellite and this is like a big thing in the 1970s you know today i mean we can talk to anybody over the internet whether it's you know satellite link or whatever uh, but this is a special thing, you know, live from the United States by satellite. And so they've got a satellite link up and going and they're talking to him. And when he and at first it's fine. But then when they ask him what he saw on the moon, he gets really angry. And and he mentions Sir Ballantyne he, he, as if he has something to do with this. And then the satellite connection drops. Um, it the satellite goes dead. The feed is interrupted, and so they're unable to continue the interview. Wow, that's <laughs> dramatic. Uh, yeah. So, so, what did Science Report do to follow up after they they lost the satellite connection? They sent their reporter Benson and a crew of uh, you know camera and audio people over to the U.S. to investigate. You know, um, and basically they they meet Groden at his home. And he's he's drinking and continues to drink. And they actually have this like five hour interview with him where he progressively gets more drunk and more forthcoming. Um, he he starts by telling them about uh, about a Ballantine. He says the astronomer Ballantine had taken a video to NASA and got really excited when they put it into the jukebox. 
and they have to ask him, what does that mean? And he says it's a decoder. So it's like slang for a decoder is a jukebox. And so they had this videotape that Ballantyne had brought and got really excited when they decoded it. Um, also, uh, Benson, the reporter, shows Groden a photo of Harry, the American, uh, who had mentioned meeting Ballantyne at NASA in Houston and says, was this guy there? And uh, Groden says, yeah, it looks like this young guy who had been helping Ballantyne. Uh, he doesn't really know him, but he says it looks like the same guy. So as he gets more drunk, he eventually starts to talk about what happened on the moon. And he says, we had a big disappointment. We didn't get there first. Wow. What is it? What does he mean by we didn't get there first? Well, it's uh, it, it, it at first it's kind of unclear. Now, there have been these rumors that the Apollo astronauts, you know, saw aliens on the moon or alien structures on the moon and that we were kind of warned off and told not to come back. And that's why we haven't been back. I mean, those are just rumors. Um, but Groton seems to mean something different. He says we came down in the wrong place and where they landed was, in his words, crawling suggesting there was a lot of some kind of activity there. He then says that the Apollo program was a smokescreen to cover up what's really going on and that the astronauts didn't know about it. So he says there's something else going on. The Apollo program was created as a smokescreen for that. We didn't know what it was. He says he doesn't know what it was. But if you want to know, he says you should ask the Pentagon and the Kremlin. Did they ask the Pentagon or the Kremlin? <laughs> well, you know, you might not get the most forthcoming answers uh, <laughs> yeah. from the Pentagon or the Kremlin. So what they did instead was they went to uh, a, an NGO, a non-governmental organization in London called the Institute for International Political Studies. So it's like kind of a think tank that studies U.S.-Soviet relations. And they talked to a guy there named Professor G. Gordon Broadbent who was an expert in U.S.-Soviet relations. And he says, he starts talking about, so one thing else you may remember from the mid-70s, uh, this was in 1975, we had a mission with one of the last Apollo capsules and one of the equivalents, a Soviet equivalent Soyuz capsules, where they docked in space. It was the Apollo-Soyuz mission. Um, I really remember that. It was a really nice moment in Cold War history where we met in space. Right. You know, I remember that. And and astronauts climbed around and cosmonauts climbed around in each other's capsules and gave each other gifts and stuff. And um, so it was a nice moment for peace. I think I actually had I may have actually had mission patches for the uh, Apollo Soyuz mission. So it was a big deal. Um, and uh, and I remember it well. Anyway. Broadbent says that the joint U.S.-USSR docking in space was presented to the public as a one-off, and he says that's all he knows it to be, though he suspects it may have been meant to pave the way for future events, like there were going to be other U.S.-Soviet joint space missions. Um, he says also that many people in his field of American-Soviet relations have been puzzled about why peace has been maintained for the last 25 years, why we haven't had a nuclear war. 
because he says it it really doesn't make sense given the imbalances in the balance of nuclear power. You know, because there was this arms race, sometimes one nation is ahead, sometimes another nation is ahead. That creates a destabilizing effect. And so we should have had a nuclear war by now. And he says that he thinks that at the highest level of diplomacy, there's what he calls an unknown factor that's playing a stabilizing role. And he speculates that it could be a massive but covert operation in space, although he doesn't know why there would be such a thing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. There's a, there's a lot going on here. So what else was Science Report able to learn about the, the, these joint U.S.-Soviet spaceflight efforts? Well, they talked to an American reporter who specializes in, in spaceflight uh, journalism named Charles Wellburn. And he talks about, you know, the possibilities of, you know, kinds of missions we might do with the Soviets. Um, he talks about uh, launching even things from off the Earth. Um, he mentions, for example, that we could, like, establish a joint base on the moon and then uh, launch things from there to get further out into the solar system. Uh, he he talks about uh, you know building a big. It would he says it would take a big space shuttle though to um, to build such a base, and that it would need international cooperation. And at the time, at least according to everything we knew, this we didn't have the space shuttle yet. That that was you know launched in 1981. Um, and the Russians didn't get a space shuttle until after we did. And theirs was not very successful. They only like flew it once. Um, so so Wellburn is just speculating here. Science Report also talks about um, what they refer to as American and Russian Skylabs. And Skylab, of course, was the name for the American space station in the 1970s. They um, they don't mention the name of the Russian equivalent at the time. The Russian equivalent was the Salyut series of space stations. Later on, they had the Mir space stations. Mir means peace in Russian. Uh, but at the time in the 70s, they had uh, the Salyuts um, and we had Skylab. I mentioned, you know, my dad worked on that. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Science Report then observes that despite all this activity in space that we had in the in the 50s and 60s and 70s, Interest in the manned space program seems to have kind of fizzled out, which which we know it it did. Um, we haven't been taking on anything nearly as big. So by by the by this point in the seventies, they were already observing. Hey, there's we're not really doing much in space anymore. Right after the Apollo landings ended in the early seventies, um, then apart from the Skylab stuff, yeah. nothing. Okay, right, and, and the shuttle was in the future. So. Was what about early on uh, in that? Yeah. So they 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 play a tape. They go back to Groden's moon mission and they play a tape from when he was approaching the moon before he landed. And uh, Houston asks Groden if he thinks he might see a Russian Vostok spacecraft orbiting the moon. And this is weird because the Vostok series of spaceships were used like a decade earlier. So back in the 60s, not the 70s. 
and they weren't meant to go to the moon. They were just meant to orbit the Earth. They were kind of like our Mercury or Gemini missions. So it would be weird as he's going to the moon to ask him, can you see a Vostok spaceship? Um, then, and, and they don't really go into this much, but then science report indicates, they just say that there have been multiple U.S. and Russian landings in a small single area on the dark side of the moon, on the side that's always turned away from us because the moon is tidally locked to the earth. So it doesn't rotate with respect to the earth. And they even show a map. They've got a big, you know, map 3D map of the moon and they turn it around and say right here, we've we and the Russians have landed a bunch of things. Wow. OK, so all this revelations that, that have kind of come together at this point. Science Report must go back to some of these people and and ask them, you know, in light of all this, what they have to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they do. So um, they start revisiting the people they've talked to earlier. They talk, for example, to Dr. Gerstein and he says um, he's you know talking about his climate change ideas. And he says that nothing is going to work. You know, experts have looked at this. Nothing is going to work to to cut either the world population, which is, of course, another big concern in the 70s. Nothing's going to work to either cut the world population or the consumption of resources. So it's not like we're going to be able to dramatically reduce greenhouse gases. He says alternative. And now he finally explains what alternative three was. He says alternative three was an attempt to secure that was a proposal because he said he doesn't know if anything's ever been done about it. But he says it was a proposal to secure at least limited human survival. If Earth's going to hell, at least limited human survival off Earth. Wow. And uh, he then talks about, uh, and it's actually it's funny, it's kind of a little reminiscent of Dr. Strangelove, you know, where he's talking about who should go down in the mine shaft. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, he you know, starts talking about the kinds of people you would want to survive off Earth. And, you know, you'd want people from a number of different fields of study. Uh, you'd want them to have different skills and things like that. Uh, you'd want them to be in good health and, and so forth. And Science Report observes that of all the people that have disappeared, you know, because they found those 24 people who had disappeared um, in the last 18 months, they observed that all of them, you know, they were qualified experts in their fields. They were different fields and they were all in good health and under the age of 55. They uh, science report then shows photos from the Viking Mars mission. And uh, I remember this also. This is this, you know, rewatching this documentary or watching it for the first time was a real treat for me because I got to revisit a lot of childhood space memories. I remember in 1976 when the Viking probe landed on Mars. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was in Houston when that happened uh, and we went to um we went to see a presentation like that day and got to see images. Um, and it was really cool. Um, of course, early on, and a lot of people don't remember this, but early on, you know, Viking was um, set up to search for signs of life. You know, they, it took a little scoop of soil from Mars and then put nutrients and incubated it and tried to detect organic activity. And the initial results were, yes, there is life on Mars. 
And and then there were questions about that, and it was kind of debunked, although there are arguments that the debunking really didn't prove that its case. And so there's actually a controversy about those Viking results, and we're going to be talking about it in a future episode, because I personally think there is a good chance that there's at least microbial life on Mars, possibly life that originated on Earth and got blown there by the solar wind. That'll be a good episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that we soon look forward to that. But in any event, so they they start talking about the Viking Mars mission. Um, They go back to Charles Welburn, the uh, space journalist, and he... He, you know, because there are these theories like the moon landing was faked and, you know, Stanley Kubrick did it in a soundstage and stuff. And Welburn says that the Mars stuff could have been faked in a studio in Burbank, but he doesn't have any reason to to think so. So he kind of dismisses that. Um, Gerstein says that uh, life on Mars could have gone into hibernation. Because we know Mars was very different climatically in the past. And he says it, it could have, if there was life there, it could have hibernated awaiting better conditions. And then he notes that the Martian atmosphere may have like, because it's thinner than Earth's. He says the Martian atmosphere may have frozen into the soil. But he notes that in 1961, there were these colossal storms on Mars that we could see, you know, through our telescopes. And that's something that happens periodically on Mars. They'll have these huge storms, like dust storms and stuff. And and these ones in 1961 changed the landscape. And he says, seemed to confirm the theory that there was more atmosphere there than than had previously been thought, but that it had like been frozen. And he, he said that after the storms, there was a dark band around Mars's equator that could have been vegetation. Or something, maybe growing again if the atmosphere has been released or some of it. And then he's he's, he's speculating, but he says that, um, you know, so you could try to release Mars's atmosphere if it was frozen. If you set off, if you launched a nuclear warhead from Earth and detonated it on Mars, it could stir up the atmosphere in that way, like release it from the soil. And then Science Reports observes that in 1961, the same year as the storms, there was a Russian launch explosion. And they wonder if it like had any connection to the storms on Mars. Like, ro- a um, rocket on the pad exploded? On, before, on the launch. pad exploded. And they think, maybe could this have been like a first attempt? You know, because often you don't, in both Russians and Americans, we had lots of rockets blow up before we got them to work successfully. Right. Another one of the people that they talked to early on was this Harry who disappeared. Did they ever learn anything more about him? Well, Harry never, they said early on, they never saw him again and they didn't. But the girl who was with Harry did call them again. And she said to bring cameras, she wouldn't talk unless it was on camera. And so they go back to her house and she gives them a circuit board and asks them, to find a place for her to hide. Wow. And she tells them she she's not really up on the uh on all the technical jargon and so she 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 doesn't know the exact term that they need but she says you need to fit the circuit board into an IAC something 40. <laughs> and so she doesn't know what the something is but yeah. an IAC something 40 
and you'll get a jukebox. The decoder. Yeah. And uh, you, and to play Ballantine's tape. And did they do that? And yeah, they were, yeah, they were apparently able to figure out what the something was. I guess it's a piece of equipment that was fairly well known at the time. And so this time when they play the tape after they've made the jukebox, um, video comes up. Ooh. So all that static resolves into video and the sound is also cleared up. So, you know, it had also kind of they'd heard some weird kind of encoded signals. Well, now that's decoded. And we start to hear comm chatter between pilots and some kind of ground control. Uh, we see in the video channel, we see a flight over a red, rocky landscape. The comm chatter is in English with American and Russian accents. We see on the video feed uh, some uh, some temperature readings. It says it's four degrees Celsius, which would be 39 degrees Fahrenheit, just above freezing. Um, we see atmospheric pressure readings. Uh, they're preparing to land. They whatever craft we're seeing this from the craft lands and there's all kinds of cheering in the background. And then something in the soil starts moving the soil at the foot of this lander starts moving around and something starts to break out and uh the the date there's a, a date on this video it's may 22nd 1962 wow. so the year after the martian storms and we hear a voice saying that if this is ever declassified it's going to be the biggest date in history and that there is life on Mars. So what did science report conclude after all of this? <laughs> well, they say that uh, the video is authentic. It's from an unmanned spacecraft on Mars. Uh, it looks like Mars has conditions. You know, it's above freezing. It looks like it has conditions that are suitable for human habitation. Uh, they suggest, and this is, is where it gets a little more sinister, they suggest that Efforts are being made to convince the public Mars is not suitable for human habitation, uh, presumably for security reasons. People, the governments want us to think Mars is not inhabitable. Um, they suggest that a human survival colony may have been begun or is being prepared for launch from the moon. Remember all those places on the dark side? They said we landed in that one little spot. Um and they challenge whoever is responsible for all of this to come forward. This is incredible that, that this happened all this time ago. And I'm just hearing about this. What happened? What was the response after this was broadcast? Well, there was no response from the government, just silence. And interestingly, this edition of Science Report was never broadcast again. It was broadcast only once. It has not been released in home video. It is available only in bootleg copies. You said this documentary was broadcast uh, on June 20th, 1977, but that it was delayed by an industrial action or a strike, a labor strike. When was it originally scheduled to be broadcast? Yeah, so this is something that it's hard to know. I, I couldn't find any information about this industrial action or strike. Um, it's a little hard to know if it was real 
or if that was a cover story or something. There, we do know that there were a lot of strikes in the 1970s in Britain and that they did affect British television frequently. Um, over on our other podcast, Secrets of Doctor Who, for example, we've talked about Shada, which was a 1970s episode of Doctor Who that they started filming but never finished because of a strike. And and that wasn't the only time that uh, strikes messed with British programming. So, you know, it's either it could be true, it could be a cover story, but if so, it's a plausible one. In any event, the end credits of the documentary revealed the date that it was originally scheduled to be broadcast. It wasn't June 20th, 1977. It, it happened to be April 1st. So, you know, April Fool's Day. Right, right. And that happens to be the day we're releasing this podcast is April yeah, 1st, April yeah. Fool's Day. April, April 1st. Uh, normally we do Fridays, but, uh, but you know, this is an, a midweek April 1st, April Fool's Day podcast. Do you have any further resources for people who want to check out any more on this story? Yeah. Yeah. So in the show notes, I'll have a link to the original 1977 documentary from Anglia TV. So you can watch it for yourself. Also, there will be a link to Wikipedia's article on Alternative 3. It turns out there are still copies of the 1979 book, Alternative 3, that I have um, uh, that are available on Amazon. So we'll have a link to that if you want to get that. And I even found a later edition. It's it's said to be an unexpurgated edition of the Alternative 3 book that was released as an ebook, And that's actually available for free at uh, archive.org. So we'll have a link to that as well. Well, so uh, do, we, do we have any mysterious headlines for for folks this week before we, we close things out? Yeah. So, you know, there have been a lot of things that are secret in space, you know, because of the defense aspect to it and everything. And so um, I thought people, in addition to hearing about this story from the 1970s, would be interested what's happening now in space and, and as part of or may be happening as part of the current. U.S. secret space program. And so I'll have a link to a video um, that's uh, a kind of a little expose about or attempts to be an expose about current U.S. secret space activities. Um, then also I'll have a link to an article about how governments keep or try to keep big things like this secret, because, you know, that's a constant struggle some things they manage to keep secret, some things they don't. Here's an article on how they go about doing that. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. Well, before we finish things out, we w we want to take a moment, as as we always do, uh, this is one of the most important things we do, is to thank our patrons who make this show possible, um, especially when we're doing a special uh, program like this on, uh, on April 1st, uh, a midweek edition. Uh, and today we want to thank Rebecca S., Gabe S., James S., Kathy S., just a coincidence, they all happen to end in S., and Aaron W. Uh, it's through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give that they make it possible for us to continue to bring you Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows we do at SQPN. Uh, and if, if you'd like to join them uh, in, in supporting what we do and bring you more programs like this, please visit sqpn.com slash give. So... That's it from us on, on this topic. What did you think about the Secret Space Program Alternative 3 and his explosives revelations that uh, that Jimmy has brought us? Um, I'm still wrapping my head around all this. Let us know by going to sqpn.com or the Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World Facebook page and leave us some feedback there. 
you can send an email to mysterious at sqpn.com. Um, email is a great way, and I just want to reemphasize that because some folks said I must have. I, I sometimes go through this very quickly, and some folks didn't find this email in one of our previous podcasts. So it's mysterious at sqpn.com. So you can send us some email there or our new Twitter account, which is at mys underscore world. Uh, you could uh, you could send us a, a tweet there, or you can just use the hashtag of hashtag mysterious feedback. All of those are the diff- are different ways or ways you can reach us uh, with with your comments and suggestions and, and different things about uh, today's topic or any of the things we've discussed. Please remember to like the episode on, on our Facebook page, by the way, and to retweet it on Twitter. That helps us get the word out about the show. We're still trying to grow uh, this audience, which has been so awesome. Uh, and, and you folks have been so good about sharing it. And if you could continue to do that, we really appreciate it. Um, especially this this program that would be great and uh, be sure to check out the, the the bookstore we have the mysterious world bookstore we're at mysteriousworldstore.com where we link all the books and videos that jimmy mentions in the show like for example we'll have a link to the alternative three book that jimmy mentioned uh, we'll put that in the the store there and uh and you can of course find all the links to these resources from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest.